Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad to be preaching God's word to you. My name is Spence. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Church. If you got your Bible, I want you to open it to Proverbs. We're going to go to chapter 11, verse 28. Now, the way Proverbs works, we're going to be in a bunch of different spots because it's, it's like a, a rope with many threads. And what you do is you kind of pull on a thread to see what Proverbs teaches about one thing. But this is going to be our anchor today. Let me read it for you. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Today, we're continuing our series through the book of Proverbs. And if you thought last week got personal when Pastor Joey talked about envy, you better buckle up (laughs) because today we're going to look at what God says about money. Now, before you like turn this thing, just totally tune out, all right? Because I know you're, maybe it's your first time with us. A friend told you you should check out Mercy Church or whatever, and you're like, great. I tuned in for the money weekend. (laughs) Well, here's what I'll say to you. This is my third sermon on money in five years, which means two things, all right? First of all, it means I don't preach on money enough, all right? But that's my problem, not yours. But the second thing, if this is only the third sermon on money in 260 sermons, and you showed up for it, it's probably not a coincidence at all. In fact, you're probably the reason that we're preaching all money, right? Like God has something to say to you, so it's really your fault, not mine, that we're in this, okay? Um, listen, to all, uh, for regardless of where you are in this, this is an area of my life that God has done a lot of work in, a lot of refinement in, and because of that, I've actually been able to experience a lot of the joy in following Christ in this area. Um, yeah, I'm the son of an accountant, and I learned a whole lot. You'll, you'll kind of hear that come up uh, throughout the sermon, just some background that I have with really wanting to save my money and, and really always focusing on my bottom line, and, and the Lord has done a lot of work in me uh, to show me that there's a lot of joy that can come from following him and what he has to say about money. But it started with the understanding, a simple idea from Proverbs that my money, here's the way I want you to think about it. My money is like the thermometer of my heart. All right. It's there to just, it just kind of, it's not in itself good or bad. It's a, it's a gauge. What I do with it, it's a better way to say it. What I do with it is a gauge. It's a thermometer that's checking the spiritual temperature of my heart. Listen, y'all today, God's not after your money. He's after your heart. He is after my heart. He's after your heart. My job today is not to make you feel guilty if you have money or frustrated if you don't have money. It's to show you how your money reveals what's going on in your heart and then to to kind of show you the path of life laid out in Proverbs when it comes to money. 
We're in Proverbs. There's a, what we've said is there's a path of life and a path of death that Proverbs keeps illuminating for us. And cards on the table during this sermon, I am going to tell you to give and to give generously. I'm going to tell you to give generously to the local church. But that's not because I'm over here trying to inflate Mercy's budget or something like that. It's because scripture says that financial generosity, especially to God's local church, is a part of training your heart to love God more. And that's what we're after, right? Look at, look at our proverb right here, this 1128. Look back at it. Anyone trusting in his riches, not anyone who has riches, right? Anyone who trusts in it will fall, but the righteous What a word for us. Not a word we use a lot in everyday language. The righteous. The righteous, listen, here's what scripture is going to tell you. The righteous are the ones who are made right by God, made right with God through faith in Christ. Listen, just kind of the gospel right out front to set us on a trajectory for this message. We do not make ourselves righteous before God. Like if you follow all the instructions of Proverbs, then you will be righteous before God. No, no, no. First of all, you'll never be able to do it, okay? And second of all, that's not what makes you righteous. God sends Christ to pay for our sin so that our guilty record, our guilty verdict is overturned. And now we are made righteous before God in Christ. Christ is our righteousness. So as long as we're abiding in him, as long as we're seeing that our identity is not by what we do for God, but what he has done for us. And then we freely walk, we follow Christ because of what he's done for us, who we are in him. Well, then we flourish. We trust him, we follow him, and we flourish. I'm here to show you what God's word says it looks like to trust in the Lord with your money and thereby flourish like a green leaf. So let's set it up this way. We'll start with how the fool trusts in money. I told you, um, all of Proverbs, if you've been with us for this series, it sets up the path of the fool, which is the path of death. And then there's the path of life, the path of wisdom. So we'll start with how the fool trusts in money. Then we'll look at how the righteous trust in the Lord with their money. All right. So whether you have a little or you've got a lot, wherever you are, um, listen, what we're after here is to diagnose the heart to treat the heart, like we'll get the diagnosis, then we'll treat the heart with the love of Jesus, and then we'll get going on the path of life, all right? And that's where the Lord's going to bring wealth, not necessarily financial prosperity, but a flourishing in life like a green leaf. And by the way, money wasn't green when this was written. Like he's not trying to get in there, you know, money or something like that. We're talking about spiritual vitality. We're talking about wholeness that comes from a heart walking closely with the Lord and trusting the Lord with our money. All right, so first, how the fool trusts in money. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing is I'm, I'm showing you what all of Proverbs is teaching about this, okay? And I'll tell you, some of these might hurt a little bit, all right? They definitely, this was a painful one to write because I'm like, oh man, me too on that one again and again. But um, understanding it, diagnosing it, helping us to see our heart is the only way we're going to get where we need to go. All right, four ways the fool trusts in money. Uh, The third one is like the one that got me the most, just so you know where we're going. But number one, the fool builds wealth with money he or she doesn't have. Here's Proverbs 22 26 and 27. Don't be one of those who enter agreements, who put up security for loans, 
if you have nothing with which to pay, even your bed will be taken from under you. You know what he's talking about right here, right? It's the credit system, right? Where you take it now and agree to pay it later. For us, this is the almighty credit card, little plastic card. It's spending money that we don't have, and we call it buying things, but we probably shouldn't. We should probably call it going in debt on things, so, and one day we will buy them once we pay them off, right? You can upgrade your whole lifestyle this way. You can upgrade your car, your clothing, your phone, whatever, all through magical visa. You know, there's a, there's a thing that my parents used to do. I'm, I'm curious if you've heard of this uh, before. It's this archaic, ancient way of the past. Um, it was called lay away. You know about this? This is a system where you tell your local Sears store or whatever uh, else stores existed that sound like that at that time, right? And you say, okay, that item I am claiming, but I'm not taking it home now. I'm giving you a down payment of $200, and then I'm going to keep coming back every month, and I'm going to keep paying you money. That thing's just going to sit there. That fridge is just going to sit there. And a a year and a half from now, I'm going to give you the last payment. I will have paid the sticker price, and then I'm going to take it home. I mean, the advantage of that is when you got the thing home, it was shiny and new and it was fully yours. Can you imagine that now? Like that does not exist. The idea is hilarious to us. Now, by the time you pay some things off, they're not new. You don't even know where they are, right? They are long gone. Um, I learned this week, there is a new, um, a new way to talk about the, the credit system. There's a new version out there. It's called Afterpay. I was floored when I started looking through this thing. You get the thing. You don't purchase, by the way. That is not what's happening right there. You are getting the thing and then agreeing to, you're going into debt and agreeing to pay it off in installments. And sometime down the road, you've purchased it, right? Proverbs says that's the fool's path to building wealth. Look, Proverbs 22.7 gives it about as clear as I can get it for you. The rich rule over the poor. And listen, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Look, let's just repeat that last one together. The borrower is a slave to the lender. That is crystal clear. When you are in debt to someone else or to a faceless organization called Afterpay or Visa, MasterCard, whatever, who only knows you as an account number, they exercise a certain amount of control over your life. Like what I love about our church is this eagerness to be generous, but uh, for some, you might not be able to be generous because you can't, because your money's not yours right now. You're not in control of it. And some of you, I think God might be calling to the mission field. If you really got before him and prayed, God, is this what you would have me do? But because of your debt situation, you may not be able to follow him there right now. And look, I just want you to know you're not alone. I want you to know that's what we're doing the sermon, all those other things you're going to hear about for, right? Look, right now, 85% of Americans, uh, not including mortgage debt, 85% of Americans are currently using debt to live beyond their means. So you might respond to that and go, look, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'll pay everything off and get things right when I make more money. No, you won't, right? You won't. You'll continue doing the same thing you're already doing. Right? In prep for this, I read an article online. It was listing off movie star after movie star who went bankrupt. Right? Every single one of them. You can go read them. Charlie Sheen, Gary Busey, MC Hammer, Mike Tyson, Chris Tucker. They, 
They, uh, it didn't matter who they were, it didn't matter what their background was, they all, after they got rich, had the same exact story. They spent more than they had and got into trouble with it. Proverbs 22 verse, verse 27, why should your bed get taken from you? <laughs> Y'all, that is like one of those things. The reason it uses that is because it's like the last thing that you have, if everything else is gone, at least you can lay down. And, and Solomon's like, why should that, if even if you're thinking about purchasing something, you're going up to the register and it's your bed and you're like, oh man, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to pay this off. Like that's a problem, right? We've gotten to a real problem there. The fool lives beyond his means. So commit now, the simple response here is to commit to wise living now, living within your means, which means, look, this is the thing to grab here, all right? It means just kind of being okay with a less luxurious lifestyle than people in your same stage of life who are living maxed out in debt. Like, that means your car, your home, your clothes, your meals may not be as nice but I want you to remember the whole time, Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Righteousness. If I had to title the sermon, I think it would probably be righteousness is more reliable than riches. All right? Trust in Christ. It's better than riches. When your impulse to just kind of uh, do a few laps through Target or through Lowe's, right? Or through Amazon, or through the sneakers app, like whatever that is for you, when it starts to get there, just remember, man, all right, I'm choosing righteousness in Christ. It might mean my life will look a little bit different, but I'm satisfied with what Christ has given me, so I don't need to live beyond my means. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and say right here, I can't encourage you enough. If you've never taken a personal money management course. That's one of the applications today. Uh, we're launching our first one here at Mercy Church in just a little while, all right? You can go to our equip page on mercycharlotte.com and sign up to get the information for that as soon as it launches, because we want to help you be able to honor the Lord with your finances, and that's going to be an important thing, all right? That's the first one. Let's move on to the second way, uh, the second way that we got here. Listen, how does the fool spend their money? How does the fool trust in money? The fool tries to get rich quick. The fool tries to get rich quick. Uh, it's amazing to me how much Proverbs talks about this. I'll give you only a couple of them. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 13.11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers, gathers little by little will increase it. I guess the good news here is that the get-rich-quick schemes are as old as time, right? Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. You, you see, this is wisdom here. This is a wisdom principle. That's what the Proverbs are. And I know you might think, yeah, but in my case, in my case, I got the inside track. I got it figured out. I know something that's going to yield a big return fast. Well, look, I'm going to tell you what my pastor told me as he was teaching through Proverbs to me. He said, look, Proverbs lay out wisdom principles, and generally speaking, it's not the principles that are broken. You break yourself against them when you try and break them. And it's important to hear the principle is speaking to the one who actually does get a little bit of return, who actually kind of pulls it off and gets a little bit of money, says, no, 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 you're going to end up in poverty because you never learned how to manage it. So don't do it. Be diligent, be consistent, gather little by little and trust the Lord. Look, again, 
don't trust in riches, right? Uh, it seems like always, always the one who is going after get rich quick scheme after scheme after scheme. What they're thinking through is if I can just get more money, I'll be okay. All right, quick survey uh, of me and you. And then we got some people in the room, all right? How many of us think it would be nice to have a little more money? Yeah, your hand should be up. My hand is up, your hand should be up. Now, how many of us think if I had a little more, no, no, no. If I had all the money I could possibly get, I will never again ever have a problem. Now your hand should be down. Like that's the reality here is we know that money can be a useful tool, but it's a terrible master, right? And that's what we're talking about here. Don't, don't trust in riches. Trust in the righteousness that Christ has supplied for you, your closeness to the Lord. That's something that is eternal, that will never fade. And when you trust in it for eternity, not only that, you will flourish here and now like a green leaf. Trust there. Let's keep going. The third one. This is the one that got me. All right. The third way the fool trusts in money, the fool overworks to get rich. Listen up, Proverbs 23, 4. <laughs> this is just like one of, I love how just like plain spoken the Proverbs are. Don't wear yourself out to get rich, period. <laughs> you know better, stop. That's Proverbs 23, 4. Um, Proverbs 15, uh, verse 16 and 17. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox with hatred. Isn't that great? Y'all, I think I've made my position on steak very clear here at Mercy Church. All right? I like it. But I will take beans and rice and the love of my wife and children over a banquet night after night and spoiled kids who grow up resenting their mother and I. We're starting to get, what you start to see here with this one, I hope, is we're starting to get to true wealth. Like we're starting to uncover and start to peel back the layers of what Proverbs says when it says wealth, what it really means to the, the flourishing like a green leaf stuff. You know, I would much rather be, I told you, this is the one the Lord has done a number on me on, be relationship rich and financially poor than the other way around, because that's true wealth. But for me, the decisions that it will take me to get on that path, they're not natural. I have to choose to prioritize relationships. And here, I'll just, let me be a little bit transparent. Um, when it comes to my job and overworking and everything else, um, that means sometimes I'm going to disappoint you as your pastor. Y'all, I violated this principle. Actually, I was the fool uh, the first few years here, and I'm, I've kind of committed uh, to the Lord, to my family, to a couple others close to me, just to not do this anymore. Because my family suffered these first few years, um, the first couple of years planting mercy. And look, that's nobody's fault but mine. I was the one on the fool's path. But realizing that means I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of Mercy Church. That might mean that I'm less successful in a sense than I think I could be. Like maybe that dinner, if I would have just had it, or, or that day with that person would have made an impact and somehow I would have gotten more praise from people and, and our church would have grown faster or some other way that I would try and measure success. And again, I want you to know, our church is awesome. Please hear me. I'm not talking about um, external pressures of the church. I'm talking about my own internal struggles of trying to get praise and success that way and overworking to get that and sacrificing my family there. I was being the fool 
who overworked to try and get rich, specifically to be praised. I was trusting in those riches. But anyone trusting in his riches will fall. But the righteous, the one who says, the one who doesn't say, the one who listens to the Lord say, listen, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Your identity is secure. You have the praises of the God of the universe who loves you, adores you. You have all the affection you need. No, you cannot be successful enough that now I will start loving you more. Right? The righteous will flourish like a green leaf. The righteous is the one who rests in the love of the Father. Do you rest there? What about you? You remember Jesus' words about this? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and, let you, and yet lose his own soul? Man, don't lose your soul in your work. It is so easy for, there's a certain type of personality. I feel like that that's a little bit, I think anybody can do it, but uh, definitely someone who might be more driven. Listen, some of you don't overwork, you underwork. I'm not talking to you. All right, stop being lazy. That's a different person. All right. Um, you got lazy proverbs that apply to you in here. Okay. Um, but listen, others of you, if you've watched the, um, the thing Hamilton, musical Hamilton, there's that song Satisfied. I'm not going to sing it right now. And in there, that's like your anthem. You know, you'll never be satisfied. You need to see that that's the path of death. And there is a path of life and it is resting in the righteousness that Christ has already won for you. Here's the last one. The fool, trusting in his riches, the fool compromises his integrity. Proverbs 28.6. Proverbs actually says a lot about this. 28.6. Better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich one who, I want you to hear how it says, distorts right and wrong. There are a couple of ways you do this in Proverbs. One's clear right here, distorting right and wrong. This is the internal secret compromises you make. You justify some kind of moral compromise because you believe it's worth the good that it will do in the end. And Proverbs says it's better to be poor with integrity than rich without it because your cash pile might increase, but your soul, who you are as a person, the word um, integrity there, it's, it's you're an integrated person. You will literally unravel and fall apart in your soul. Students, listen to me. You might think it's no big deal right now to cheat on that exam, but cheating compromises your character and you start to unravel. It's like fertilizer for your sin. It just grows it more and more. And eventually you'll start cheating. You'll start cheating at work. You'll cheat on your spouse and it'll all be no big deal until one day you're 44 and you wake up and your life is unraveled before you. But Proverbs also shows a kind of downfall that's not just secret, internal. It shows an open compromise of integrity. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty six. People will curse anyone who hoards grain, but a blessing comes to the one who sells it. The author's saying there's a certain kind of person who gains wealth in a way that will bring harm to his community, not blessing. He hoards grain while others starve. He's got the supply of food he could help, but he uses this as a time to profit gouge, to get ahead personally. You can build financial gain by exploiting the poor, but people will curse you. God will curse you and you will slowly unravel from within. Good luck. 
The wise person instead looks for ways to leverage his or her wealth to be a blessing, not a curse, on their community. The righteous looks for ways to be righteous. The ones who have been called righteous, who have experienced that they didn't do anything to earn all the blessing, the inheritance as son or daughter of God, the inheritance of an eternal kingdom. They didn't do anything to earn that. That was given to them in Christ. And so now they are righteous and they turn and they look at their community and say, I want to extend righteousness to my community that I have received from God. I don't expect anything from you. I'm not here to take from you because God didn't take from me. God gave to me. So I want to give and bless you. That's one who is righteous in their community. It's just handing off in a small veiled way. We can never do it the way the Father does. But in a small way, the righteousness, blessing with tangible grace, that which we have been given. Four ways we trust in money. We overspend, overreach, overwork. We compromise ourselves to get there. So let me say now, I told you we'd offer a prescription for the heart. It's simply this. Put your trust in Christ, not in your money. Our key verse, anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Here's what it looks like to trust in. When you trust in riches, let me give you some handles on this. It usually comes out in two ways. Either you trust in money for security or you trust in it for like beauty and comfort and the things that, that you can buy with it. Right? If you trust in it for security, you save it. This was me for a long time and still when in my, like when my sin rears its ugly head, this is where I go. I constantly check it. I want to look at my bank account. I want to make sure that the bank account is okay. I, I would check that thing 20 times a day. Like I don't know where I thought it was going, but 20 times checking, 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 checking. Right? That's for some people, they trust in it for security and your heart rests as long as your bank account is okay. But if you trust it, and on the other hand, for, for beauty, for significance, the things you can get, your heart will rest when you get those things that you spend it on, right? When you get nice things. Now, it's important to know which way this works in you. Are you the saver or are you the spender, right? Because if you're like me, um, good, that's the better way. No, I'm playing. It's just like how we all, like each one of us feels like there's a, a better way, right? Uh, I, I think all prices on all things are too high right? And I look for ways to save always. But you need to know which one you are, because if God should have it in his plans for you to get married, it'll be to the other one, all right? If you're a saver like me, you'll marry a spender. These are very different creatures. So you've got to, I'm drifting into a different sermon a little bit there, but you got to learn, you got to learn that. But the point for both, whether you're the saver or the spender, is if you trust in your riches, you will fall. And the proverb has turned you into, the, you see what's happened here? It's like it's turned you into a branch of a tree. And it's saying you'll, you'll turn brown like the leaves are, like right now in the fall, right? And you will decay and you will fall to the ground and you'll die and you'll take nothing with you. But when you make Christ your source of security and Christ your source of significance and Christ your source of beauty, then you will spring to life. You will be bursting out with like Holy Spirit chlorophyll or whatever that would be in the metaphor. Look, in Christ, 
Think about what you have in that righteousness. You're an adopted child of God. You have the love of the God of the universe, God your Father, in full. He's held nothing back from you in Christ. He's made you for that love. He's supplied it in full. He's given you the presence of his spirit right now. You have eternal riches stored up for you and a place prepared specifically for you in heaven where you will be with the Father. You have the promise of peace, joy, purpose, significance, all here and now. And the call of scripture says, fix your eyes there. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, because he is more secure and he is more beautiful than anything else. And when Christ is your security, you just won't need to grip money so tightly. You won't need to grip your stuff so tightly. See how freeing that is? When Christ is your source of beauty and significance, you'll start to find joy doing his will. You'll find beauty in his work. Your eyes will be fixed on that eternal reward awaiting you in such a way that nice cars, nice homes will seem like silly replacements for what you already have. Man, that's a nice truck. I need a truck like that. You have eternal riches beyond measure. You have the presence of the Lord Jesus. If I just had, no, no, no. When you feel, I feel that sometimes, y'all. If I just had, when you get that, if I just had, the response is, you do have. You do have. You have it all in Christ. All and more you could ever ask or imagine you already have in Christ. You just need to stop accepting, and I need to stop accepting the world's definition of wealth. Redefine wealth the way the Proverbs talk about it. Happiness, joy, security, peace, relationships, and above all, true wealth, life everlasting in Christ. Only the fool thinks that money could buy that. So now what do you do? If that's the prescription, if that's the the real prescription there to put our trust in Christ. Well, then how do we start walking forward? How do we obey God? Okay, I I want to do that. Now, handles, how do we start doing that? Proverbs gives that as well. Here's the first thing. I want you to live with radical generosity. Radical generosity. Let me give you a couple of Proverbs here. And I hope when when we do sermons like these, where we're just showing you like a whole bunch of survey of of a book like this, I hope you take this back and do some more study with it. Talk with your community group, whatever that is. Let me give you a couple of them. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. So you start there. And the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. One gives, this is fascinating, one gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. But that, there's something deep in the heart going on uh, in that verse right there. Um, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. Listen to this one, y'all. This one's still messing with me. Proverbs 19, 17. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. And he will give a reward to the lender. There's no other way to say it, especially that last one. 
that last one saying your generosity is a loan to God, like God will pay you back. You really can't read that any other way. And that's very uncomfortable for me to like say, <laughs> but basically a vehicle God uses to bless you is you giving your money away. Why? Listen, giving your, what it said, first fruits, not your leftovers shows that you trust him. And real generosity, actual sacrificial generosity requires trust in God. I'm talking about giving the kind of money away that'll cause you to pause and go, ooh, I could do some other things with this. But what I've learned is that you cannot outgive God. You can't. Courtney and I chose at the outset of our marriage that we wanted one of the like themes of our marriage to be radical generosity with our finances. And almost every year for 16 years, we've had these moments where we're like, oh, we'd like to do that, but ooh, that's going to hurt if we do. Had one just the other day, but he has always given back. Listen, when I say this, more wealth, not necessarily financial gain, but more wealth through the act of giving than I could have ever, ever imagined. Always. I'll give you two examples real quick. Um, they were just, they happened very close to each other. Um, early in our marriage, it was like year two, I think, or year one. Um, we had the opportunity to give to our church and we had, um, two incomes and no kids. All right. And we said, all right, you know, we're going to give, and we gave, I'm going to tell you, we gave a thousand dollars to our church. And we were like, oh, this was crazy. I mean, crazy. We've never get anything like this. Gave a thousand dollars to the Christmas missions offering. Okay. The, and, and we had been challenged by our pastor to trust the Lord uh, when you give. Like, do it joyfully, cheerfully, uh, not under compulsion, but you give. So we did. The next day, I walked into my office at work. My boss calls me in and says, Spence, you've had a great year. Um, I'm going to give you a $1,000 bonus. And I was like, whoa. And I told him right there what it just, everything happened. I was like, well, this is a cool way the Lord works. So about two years later, the thing comes around and we get another opportunity to give. And this time it's a pledge. All right. So we pray and fast and everything. And um, we had one kid. I was in seminary. We were on one income. Okay. So things were a little bit different. And I said, you know, Courtney, we remember what happened last time. Let's do this again. Um, let's trust the Lord. And so we make a pledge, a pretty uh, significant financial pledge that was going to like, oh, we could do this, but instead we're doing this. And the next day we found out we were having another baby. <laughs> now, listen, I don't know if you know this, but children do not financially increase your income. <laughs> they take away <laughs> a lot, all right? So one time it was the Lord going, hey, you can trust me by just resupplying the money right there. Another time it was the Lord saying, are you still gonna trust me? Are you still gonna trust me? You think that was a coincidence? We found out three days after that when we had made a commitment, because when you make a commitment, you could go, uh, change of plans. You know, now it didn't like cause us to go into debt or something like that. So we did it within our means, but it was a, are we going to actually trust the Lord? Are we gonna trust him and give generously? And the Lord supplied so much in freeing me. I told you that I'm that saver freeing me from addiction to watching the bottom line and finding my security there. I had to trust him. And I found a closeness to the Lord that I'd never found before. Now, a quick soapbox, because I know what town I'm preaching this in, all right? This is not saying, I think I've made this clear, but it's not saying I want you to get financially rich by giving to the TV preacher. There is a brand of Christianity I'm gonna try and stay measured about right here and not get too hot about. But when you pray on people's idols for financial gain from a pulpit, I get hot. God does not promise you that if your credit cards are almost maxed out and you just sow a seed with $20 or whatever to that shiny haired preacher, 
No, it doesn't promise everything's going to be okay. You will still be in debt. All right. This isn't a secret code that breaks all the other principles. And look, like I said, sometimes financial giving doesn't result in financial enrichment back, but it does result in real wealth, not fool's wealth, real wealth, relationships, contentment, joy, purpose, and most of all, a love and trust in Christ and in the righteousness that he supplies for you. In fact, the real wealth God gives you might be that he crushes your idol of financial wealth so that you can finally live free from the tyranny of the almighty dollar. All right, so what should you give? I I know we need to wrap this thing up. So what should you give? Let me offer a giving framework, uh, a frame of mind that was super helpful for me as I was trying to figure this whole thing out, and I hope it's helpful to you so that you can unlock the joy of financial generosity. First, give a percentage. You see in Proverbs 11, 24, he said, there's one who withholds what he should give. And consistently throughout the Old Testament, this should give is is 10%, and it's called a tithe. All right, it's the first fruits, And the first and best fruits, like the choicest produce, 10% of the harvest, you gave back to God as an act of worship, showing that, listen, you believe it all belongs to him anyways. You understand this, right? It's all his. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. It's all his. You and I are just temporary stewards of his money, of his treasure, his wealth. All right. And you belong to him and you serve him, not the other way around. And that's what that tithe does. Give a percentage. You may not start. Listen, 10% might sound crazy to you. I'm going to challenge you to trust the Lord, but start somewhere. All right. Start somewhere. Uh, Secondly, give first. I want you to think about just a lot of times our culture says you should spend on yourself by your, um, your necessities, things like your rent or your mortgage, and then your bills, and then you should spend on the things you need. And then you should save, which is just spending on you later, right? And then you should, if you have any leftovers, maybe give to God and others. I want to encourage you to flip that around and start with giving to God and others, and then save, and then spend, all right? But ultimately, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your produce, that's what the scriptures teach. It means the priority starts to flip to first thinking about God and others and then myself, which is consistent with what the rest of scripture teaches about how to follow Christ. So when you set your monthly budget, let the first line be what you will give, then what you'll save, and then what you'll spend. That simple framework right there will revolutionize your heart. An increase in income might lead to an increase in standard of living, but it will definitely lead to an increase in your ability to give, and you will find more joy there. But here's the last one. Please hear this. If you miss it, the rest of this really won't won't matter. Give in response to the gospel. The Old Testament tells us 10% is what we ought to give. Ought. The New Testament changes the conversation from ought to give entirely. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says we're to give in response to what Christ has done for us. The next chapter, Paul says, We're to do so not under compulsion, which means not under guilt, but joyfully, cheerfully. Like if you give online, you should get around the computer with your family and it should feel like, okay, guys, today our gift is going to post. It's going to go out of our bank account and over to the church, over to this ministry. So let's have a dance party. (laughs) Doesn't that seem crazy? 
But he says you should give joy, joyfully. We pass those buckets around church if we ever, you know, do that. I don't know. But if we're doing it, how, whatever situation we're doing, it should be a dance party because we get to give to God's work in the world. Not we have to under compulsion. No, 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 no. None of that. We get to. It should be fun. It should be joyful. 10%? Sometimes we think that's the ceiling. That's what the varsity level is. If 10% is the Old Testament call, do we have more or less to be thankful for as people on the other side of the cross than they did in the Old Testament? I would say a whole lot more. And I would say 10% is probably the floor. And then we can look at God, not what should I give, but what do I get to give? Like I said, I've been disobedient as your pastor by not calling you to give as much as I should have. Again, not because God needs your money. God's doing okay. Just want you to know. Uh, Not because mercy needs your money. That's not the point. You don't trust us, give somewhere else, all right? The point is you need to give. You need to give. You need to give for the sake of your soul. You need to give. And look, there is a ministry God is building here. I do believe in it. There's an opportunity to be a part of building a church that will reach more families, more college campuses, that will reach into the areas of brokenness and hurt in our community, and that will send God's people to the nations. I hope you're hearing all of this. I'm not telling you like not to enjoy your money, what God has given you. Enjoy it. Just let's not get in the habit of maybe tipping God a little bit and going on with life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants your heart. So yes, give to the local church. It's God's plan A. Give because of what he's doing through us together. But most of all, y'all, give because you're not trusting in riches. Because you'll fall. But the righteous, the righteous, the ones who receive the righteousness from Christ, who rest, who John 15, abide in his love will then bear much fruit, will flourish like a green leaf. Trust the Lord. Follow him. Talk to some others that you know who love Jesus and work through this together. Let us be a people who joyfully, cheerfully trust in the Lord and choose his righteousness over our riches. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love in Christ. Thank you for your righteousness that we can stand firm in, that never fades, never wobbles at all. We are secure. We are secure now with you. Your presence is with us and for eternity ever after. And there is a kingdom awaiting us. And the best part of that kingdom, it's not the streets of gold. It's your presence. It's you. Thank you. God, might we fix our eyes there? And would you free us from even everything from the little moments to the big decisions, from trusting in riches? Help us to trust in you. And then might we, might we trust you with our money, with our finances, instead of trust in them. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.